Sudhir Gopalan, CEO of Esper. I'm Sudhir Reddy, head of engineering at Esper, as well as the host of this show. There's a device for that. Hi, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you, Yadu. It's awesome to have you back on the show. It's been what a year since we, since you appeared on the show last, and back then you had just written your book. There's a device for that. Uh, sorry, what was the book called? DevOps. DevOps for devices. Yeah. The devices for that is your podcast. <laughs> yeah, my podcast is more important. Um, so Yadu, we spoke last year on this show, and you had just written your book called De- DevOps for Devices. So what has the feedback been for your book and how has that all come together for you? Yeah, so that podcast was fun and actually putting together the book was really an amazing journey. It's the first I've done and had a lot of great people working with me in uh, putting that together. But the other part of that is kind of the reception. It's like this is the introductory that we did, kind of getting people used to the idea that there could be DevOps and those DevOps principles used in what we call kind of the devices where you have fleets of devices and going from hundreds of devices to hundreds of thousands of devices and how you use those great principles that are people are using in the cloud and applying them similarly into devices and allowing them to kind of really enable agile development where they have development cycles that actually can match their deployment cycles. That's awesome. And I know that I both contributed to the book and I enjoyed thoroughly reading the book and I have several friends who gave us some great compliments. So for the listener, if you haven't seen last year's episode or heard last year's episode or have not read the book, I invite you to please go do that. There's a lot of great content in there and uh, I'm sure you will gain a lot of knowledge from that. Also, yeah, for the listener who hasn't had the chance to listen to our last year's podcast, I'm going to go over briefly some of your background and what attracted you to tech and software space and things. So what did attract you to tech and how did you become a software engineer? So I got into tech really early and I was really lucky. My parents were graduate students in the 70s in May. They were in chemical engineering, but they were kind of like the only married graduate students there. And there was a huge community, like about 20, 30 students who were not married, the graduate students from across different fields. And some of them were computer science, some of them were electrical engineering, et cetera. And every weekend, they would come over to a set of them, not all of them at once, but a set of them would come over to our house and my parents would cook Indian food for them, which is very rare. There weren't any Indian restaurants, Indian grocery anywhere close. We had to go to Boston to get anything that we could use for cooking Indian food. Uh, but we cooked food for all of them, and it was like this community thing. Among them, there was like uh, some really sharp computer science graduate students who were like, oh, we're here, might as well teach this kid programming. And so I got taught with one of the most foremost, and he's now in IIT, he's a professor there, and he taught me a computer science and like when he's hanging out, uh, not computer science, but programming. And I learned Fortran, actually, that was the language of what's in especially among engineering and folks. So we would do that and then we would write the program and we would, next time I was in the, we were in the computer lab, we'd kind of write it out on these card machines and print out card and program it and see, have it actually run on these teletech machines, et cetera. It's a lot of fun. I mean, at that point in time, I was really interested in 
kind of this whole technology of um, here's this kid in fifth grade sitting in front of a mainframe room um, and had access. I had access. That's that was the thing. It's like that's been my philosophy also in kind of like if you give people access, they'll be able to really love it. And I was lucky enough to have access. So I've been in love with technology from day like whenever I was super super young. That's awesome. You know, two things I want to recap from what you just said. One is I have lived through the punch card days. It wasn't fun, but there are good old memories also in there. And second, man, you're making me hungry for Indian food right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I know that uh, one of the things you always tell us and, uh, you know, we talk about is that you, I think you've only interviewed once in your life for a job. Tell us about how your career started and how that progressed. That's an interesting yes. story there. Exactly. Um, so went to undergraduate, went to, um, I didn't pick computer science, I picked electrical engineering because I thought I wanted to really be a hardware guy and understand how computers are built. And so I did that and, and got a graduate degree in electrical engineering. By the time I was in senior year, it became more computer digital field. And then I went on to do a master's and the master's was actually in neural networking. And then I basically got together with uh, another friend of mine who we thought we could do some a computer vision for actually detecting bad eggs as they're going through a conveyor belt. And we started trying to do some image processing, image recognition stuff. Unfortunately, it was really hard at that time. The, the technology computer vision had not come to that. But I did my PhD to kind of fund our little project there. And while that was doing, we also wanted to fund his parents run some, had a business. So we I started doing some software development and we kind of built a product and Kind of a startup, and we built a product, didn't know how to sell it. But at some point, we got kind of bored of this, and I really didn't want to finish my PhD because it was really, I felt it was very tiresome and not the way I wanted to go. And that it kind of was in fault-tolerant computing, and the applications of that was very narrow. Um, so I said, okay, I'm out of here. I want to go get a job. So I applied. I sent an application to Washington State. I said, okay, what's the company that I really um, like, where in the location I really liked? And I loved Pacific Northwest and it, because I thought it was kind of the main with jobs. And so, I, okay, what's the company there? I applied to Microsoft. I got an interview, got a job, and that was it. I, not, I didn't apply to any other companies in, at that point in time. And 12, 16, 17 years later, I was in Microsoft. And then somebody said, hey, come over to Amazon. And we kind of had this connection and then work on this project. And that wasn't really an application or a real interview in that sense. So and after that, we started, I decided to start Esper. I can talk a lot about, um, about that. But I guess the trying to get funding is a bunch of uh, interviews and stuff like that. But for a real job, I actually have done one application and one interview. So I'm a really bad person for if anybody wants job advice on how to do applications. So wrong person. interviews. <laughs> yeah. And uh, hey, that one job application and your interviews with uh, VCs to get funded, but they all seem to have gone well. So no complaint. So speaking of Esper, a little bit of background on how did Esper come about? What did you think was a problem in the market that you could solve uniquely with Esper? There were like two things that kind of contributed to Esper. Um, ever since my PhD days where I kind of did some, or tried to do something on my own, I had this itch. And it has been 20 years working for big companies and kind of just going with the flow. And I really wanted to do something. So I was trying to figure out what to do and with who to do it, which is really important. That's really key too. And then at the same time, 
I've been working with devices and building devices and device infrastructure at Microsoft and Amazon. And I felt I was doing the same thing in multiple different teams, multiple different projects, building infrastructure to get things going. And if you don't know, like on big companies, you basically sometimes redo, do things over and over again. And I was doing that and I saw, okay, this is a real need. Yes, companies like Microsoft and Amazon can have the engineering power, like their powerhouse, and they can have the resources to go do this every time. But I felt like this got to solve this and we got to solve this for everyone else. And we got to solve this like one time, create a turnkey solution. And so I want to build a company that provided that for everyone else. And around the same time, I was talking to Shiv, who was my co-founder. And he also was looking at very similar device-based ideas and we got together and that's what the start of Esper was. The rest is history. A lot of uh, the listener on this call, a lot of times they are entrepreneurs trying to start their own business and they may benefit from the experience of creating a new product, trying to find a product market fit and all those. How did you go about experimenting, getting product market fit and scaling to the great success that Esper is at right now? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I mean, it really comes down to like, what is the core problem that you're trying to solve? And for us, it was about decreasing the kind of the complexity of fleets of devices, enabling and making faster updates or problem-free updates, ability to diagnose and debug situations in the fleet and managing a large fleet and making that be more automated and creating systems that allow ones to kind of not have to worry about if a software is going to get updated and how it's going to get updated and will it, will it be updated the right way. So that's the problem statement, like understand really what you're solving from the customer. And that means our primary focus was solving the customer problem and taking on that burden of complexity from them and reducing the complexity. So I'm solving something really important. And that boils down to really our what our mission and vision of our company is. And our mission is to provide like customers with exceptional device experiences so they can build the great user experiences, great experiences without having to worry about the complexity of the infrastructure. And the other point of the view is like our core vision is based on enhancing daily human experiences of devices in the moments that matter and then everything in between. So we came up with this mission and vision that kind of tie into how we're going to solve the problem. That's really important. And that's key. And more importantly for us, and I think everyone should be, is be a very customer-focused company. From the day one, we wanted to be very focused on what our customers wanted and also go out of our way to make sure they're satisfied and make sure they're successful. And that's what's important. Because for everyone, but even more important for us even, is the success of our customers means the success of Esper. And that's like something that we kind of instill across the company and make sure everyone knows that. That's great. I really love the mission and the vision that we have. And to repeat for the listener, the mission Yadu was talking about is to provide our customers with exceptional device experiences. And the vision that Esper has is to enhance the daily human experiences with devices in moments that matter and everything in between. I really love that. And how do you balance staying true to your vision and mission with creating something that will sell, that's something that is adopted by our customers? Because it's very easy to have a mission and a vision and then have a separate selling motion, if you will. 
But bringing all that together is probably the most important thing for a successful company. Good question. It's not easy because uh, what you want to do needs to be something that you can actually sell and create a business out of it. And it's even harder for a company like ours and many other companies that like similar to ours, where you're trying to create a new category, a new concept, uh, which is the DevOps or devices, talk about the book, et cetera, kind of educate everyone. So it's much harder. But first, the key thing is understand the problem, understand the need. And we spent like the first year and a half doing that before we kind of even went out and started selling. And so solving and seeing if it solves the problem as we're building it is going to solve the problems that the customers want. And then are you going to be able to explain it in a manner that the customers can understand? And sometimes you have to be able to talk in terms that your customers can understand and basically the value-based, what is the value that they're going to get out of and what are the problems you're going to solve, not about the technology and not about features. And if you can do that, it's that's what's important. It's like, are you really solving a pain point for them? And if you are solving a pain point for them, then you're going to have a ability to sell your software. That's really important. And for us, it's about creating something that does address a pain point. That's great. Speaking of uh, customers, I'd like for you to just briefly explain to the listener a couple of things. What is the product and who are the target customers? At its kind of core, is making software updates to devices at the edge easier, uh, faster, more reliable. That's kind of the single line statement. And that's wrapped up in DevOps for devices. Once you have that, it's kind of the systems and methodology that goes into making the software updates easier. And along with, once you have software updates, you have to have feedback loops, such as monitoring and other capabilities that kind of build on top of that to actually make it a full circle system that customers can kind of build on. So that's kind of the problem and the simple statement that we're doing. And the customers of ours are customers who are building large fleet, whether it's hundreds of devices, whether it's thousands of devices or hundreds of thousands of devices. And especially as they scale, the complexity of managing devices changes. And this is a little bit different from like cloud because you end up with heterogeneous systems, different hardware, different software revisions, because this is over time, there is a complexity in how the deployment strategies you have, depending on your partitioning of your fleet and where they are, how they're being used, et cetera. So you have these additional complexities that you have to, and so you have to manage that. You have to manage this for these customers. Our customers at a high level have um, these fleets. From a persona perspective, it can be quite a bit different. And many times it's engineering teams that are building that. And sometimes it's kind of the operational team that's also helping out. And sometimes it's a product team that wants to create a full solution. They want to make sure updates and other capabilities are thought through. And great product teams do that. They want to adopt infrastructure that allows them to innovate, allows them to continue to bring the best experiences for their customers. And so we end up talking to multiple different personas and depending on the customer, but in the end, it's about having great experiences on fleets of devices that they deploy and they build and the solutions that they're building. Yeah, and I can expand on that too for just from my experience here in that we've enabled anywhere from restaurant menu systems all the way to robotics, all the way to 
tablets sitting in convenience stores and things. I can think of companies like Ordermark, Lula, Slice, and Minor Decliner, who've actually been on this show. And that's the key, isn't it? In terms of whether they're just trying to configure or set up their devices, or they're trying to, I'm going to get a little technical here, but going from their CI and CD pipelines all the way to delivering that and making us part of their CD pipelines to deliver software to their devices. That's the crux of it all and enabling that to happen in a seamless, completely high quality and stable way. That's what customers need and that's what they're looking for. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. A lot of the listeners we have are entrepreneurs. And I'm going to ask about your experiences with entrepreneurs and glean some knowledge from that. What did you find was your biggest challenge in, in creating Esper and getting it to where it is now? I'm an engineer by trade. And so like building and, and kind of figuring, understanding what the product and we have, and we have a great team that's building this. Sudhir is part of that team. But the biggest challenge for me is actually kind of, and that's a new thing for me to kind of understand kind of the go-to-market aspect of being able to educate the industry and the market about this DevOps for devices. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. And how do I do that? How do they write methodologies for doing that? And like building this right message and understanding what the go-to-market and the sales and what works for us and what doesn't work for us. It's a continuous learning and because you have to continuously adjust as we go. And that's definitely been the challenge, I would say. And for, I think, any of your entrepreneurs, that will be, you should focus on it very early on how you're going to market this, how you're going to message this. And that's important and key. Yeah. But one of the key things there is just continue to learn. And a lot of entrepreneurs start with one area of expertise, whether that's engineering or sales or marketing, et cetera. And they quickly have to stretch to learning all of the other aspects very quickly. What is the one piece of advice you'd give if I were starting a company? Continue learning. I mean, I said that, I mean, is you got to be able to learn. First of all, like you're going to have pattern matching. You've got all these other companies, but your company is unique. So you're going to have to learn and you're going to understand and absorb all of these different things, whether it's go to market or product development or et cetera, absorb this and then apply to this to your unique environment and unique cases. Your market's going to change. Your customers are going to change. So you have to continue to learn. And I, I think I do that a lot and I encourage that I'm whole company to do that a lot is learn, 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 learn. Uh, you never know what adaptations that you're going to have to do. Yeah. And I know you've told me this uh, before, you know, we all have to be humble in order to learn things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like Sudhir said, you got to be humble enough and understand that when you need what you know and what you don't know and learn. But with that comes with having people that you can inherently trust because you're not going to know everything. You're going to have to bring in people that's going to augment your, you're kind of lacking in fundamentals and understanding. You're going to have to bring those people in and people who are going to also be able to educate you, or like things need to work and things, the other part of this whole company ecosystem that I call is all going to work together. So you got to have people you trust. And this is the people that you hire, first of all, the leadership that you have, the rest of all the other employees that you have. And obviously you have to have the advisors, the mentors and investors that you have. You got to be have to have people you can trust around you. You got to surround yourself with people you trust. And that's really key. And I utilize them, utilize everyone from the most recent hires to our leaders, to investors, 
And I utilize that whole network to be able to kind of create my overall map of understanding. Yeah. Before I switch topics on you, what is the one sort of principle or guiding light or motto, how, whatever you call it, that you go by that you would like to talk to us about? Innovation. I mean, I think it's um, you have to continue to work on innovation. It's not like just a point in time because things are moving so fast and you have to understand where things are going and continue to evolve, uh, continue to uh, innovate on different things. The thing is, innovation is not like instantaneous. It's a lot of hard work. Sometimes it may seem like, wow, that is so innovative, but it's not that. It's 20, 30 years of things that are happening that creates this point in time that it feels like uh, gives you a wow factor. Take generative AI, for example. Everybody thinks, oh, this is huge. It's amazing. And chat GPT came up. But it's really 20 years of AI research that's been happening forever. And all of a sudden, there's a, like an amazing use case that people are seeing. And I think back to my PhD thing that I was working on and um, where being able to do computer vision. And there was, like, it was neural networks back there in 20 plus years ago. And it was really primitive at that time, but it's it's been happening even before that. And so it's, it's a lot of years of people, scientists and all working together. And all of a sudden it feels like, wow, we've come to this point of time that this breaks ground. And so same thing with your company. And same thing for this thing is you got to continue to, and it's all a lot of these small steps that give you that big step uh, um, at some point in time. Yeah, I can totally agree with uh, with both of those. I have a similar example to your generative AI example. Back when I was a graduate student, I'm a robotics major, and the work we were doing on robotics, literally, this was PhD level material where you're trying to research how to do a certain thing with the technology that middle school students today in the robotics class do and utilize and things. So all of that innovation, uh, and I always talk about micro-innovations, it's always micro-innovations that lead to a much larger cumulative innovation. So speaking of generative AI and things, what are the major trends you're watching in the industry right now? What are the things that you are looking to learn from as well as try to better? First of all, I think devices are just gonna become more and more ubiquitous. What I mean by that is you're already seeing devices everywhere. But it's going to be less and less about device like as an entity or a single device here and there. But it's going to be very transparent. It's going to be very solving problems. They're going to be talking to each other, communicating. You're already kind of seeing that where your camera in your home is uh, talks to your security system. It's just going to get more. Your health systems are going to talk to your car your and all of that stuff. It's, it's going to be much more kind of transparent in how all of this works. And it's not just going to be one thing. It's going to be many things that are there. And you're saying that with I IoT, but it's going to get smarter. They're going to be able to understand. And obviously, we're going to have to worry about privacy and security and et cetera. With all that said, it's just going to kind of, I think, continue to expand and explode on like the use cases people think of across the board. You said the power is there. The CPU is there. The AI coming around, it's there. And the use cases are starting to really come together. Yeah, it's fascinating because as you were saying that, I was thinking about just the guests on this podcast. If I put some of the guests together, I could have a scenario where I come home, the garage door opens for me, I go in and I speak to my voice assistant and I have a warm shower waiting for me. 
I can finish that, come out and the dinner's waiting for me. All of that is possible and reality with all the things that we're working on right now. So omnipresent technology has become reality. Exactly. Yadu, thank you so much for being on the show. For once again, Yadu Gopalan is the CEO of Esper, where I work. And it's always a pleasure to have you on the show and listen to your vision and hear your experiences. It was a lot of fun to there. Thank you. And for the listener, if you want to find out more about Esper, please go to esper.io. And also make sure you read Yadu's book, DevOps for Devices, and listen to this podcast religiously, regularly. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This is There's a Device for That, and you can get a new episode every Tuesday. Please be sure to subscribe. There's a Device for That is brought to you by Esper, the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out. Go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V. Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.